you're listening to the Pomerado Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for spending time with us today. If you're a weekly listener, welcome back. If this is your first time, we're so glad you're here and hope you consider subscribing. If you're in your car, on a run, doing things around the house, or working out, and want to connect even further and take next steps with us, visit pomerado.info. Now, enjoy this week's message. Well, good morning and welcome, everybody. Uh, it's so good to see those of you who are here with us in person. want to acknowledge all of you who are joining us online. We're so grateful that uh, you're taking the time to join us and be part of our service here today. And so we also recognize there's some of you who are listening to the podcast later on or watching this sermon uh, throughout the week. And so know that whenever you're hearing the message or whenever you're part of our service, uh, that we believe that you are here and you're listening to this for a reason. And as we enter into this time, just know that no matter where you are in your journey with God, whether you've followed him your whole life, whether you're unsure if you're ready to take step one, you are in a safe place. And I hope and pray that if you learn nothing else today, and if you hear nothing else today, may you hear and know and receive the love of God in a deep, powerful way. We're going to continue our series called In the World as we're looking at the idea of how do we connect in our world? How do we stand firm on our faith without compromising? And we're taking a time to look at the Babylonian exile and how over the next three weeks starting today, how it is that Daniel and his friends stood firm in a culture that caused them or or, excuse me, wanted them to bow down. And what does that look like for us in our culture How do we stand firm and love well in a world that wants us to bow down? Will you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for each person who hears my voice now, Lord. May may you speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us as we dive into your word. Lord, each person who hears my voice is someone who has been uniquely formed and created by you, that you alone know all of our hopes and dreams and wounds and heartaches. You know the depths of our soul, God, so we know that you, as our maker and our author, that you would be able to meet us in a way that only you can throughout this time together. So God, I pray that I would decrease and that you would increase and that this would be what you want it to be for each of us to realize how loved by you we truly are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As I mentioned, we're in a series called In the World, and today's specific sermon title is called Remembering Who You Are. Now, there's two different ideas of remembering who you are or the importance of remembering who you are because some of us, some of us maybe we uh, don't even know fully where we come from. We don't even know necessarily our story and our background. So, I, um, I, I'm 50% or I'm half Chamorro. If any of you know what Chamorro is, then I got a free donut for you outside. Um, so Chamorro is the, uh, it's the indigenous people group that are in the island of Guam, which is one of America's territories. Chamorro, um, it has its own language, uh, but I don't know any of it yet. I want to be able to learn that. I want to be able to lean into that. But our last name is a hard last name. Uh, and so when people see it, C-H-A-R-F-A-U-R-O-S, write it down, there's a test later. C-H, and I'm just kidding. So recognizing that this is, it's a hard last name. So whenever I meet people who have hard names, either first names or last names, I always want to be really intentional, uh, intentional, not a word, uh, intentional with learning it, right? Because I know what it's like when you're sitting in the first day of class and they go to like, you know, Billy Chapman, and then they go, John Mm, I'm like, is it weird looking? It's Chafaris. Thank you. That's me. So I'm here. Uh, And so recognizing that 
it's hard, right? But I was meeting with a, with a, um, a friend recently, and the idea is that we love, like one of the most loving things we can do is to call someone by their name because it shows them value. But sometimes we don't even know where we came from. So our last name's Chafaris. It's a hard one. And I remember um, I'm, I'm wanting to learn more about our culture as Chamorro. And I'm trying to, we bought a couple books, for, children's books for the girls to look through. Now, when I went to a, there's a, a few Guamanian or Chamorro restaurants in the area. I went to one called Smackin' Guamanian Grill in Mira Mesa. And uh, it was really good. I got there a little early. I was meeting my cousin there. Um, and so like, let's, let's eat here together. And I got there a little early and I met with one of the, the owners, the family members who owned the restaurant. And they had a map of Guam over there. And, and I was like, oh, like, they're like, oh, are you Chamorro? I'm like, oh, yeah. And I was sharing about how, like, my family's from, uh, like, Agate. It's A-G-A-T. And he's like, oh, Agat. I'm like, okay, I don't know how to say my own hometown. That's cool. And then, and then he's like, oh, so what's your last name? And I'm like, Chafaris. And he just kind of gives me, like, a little side eye, like he's not quite sure. And I show him my, li- my uh, driver's license. He's like, oh, Chafaris. And I'm like, you just told me I've no- I haven't known how to say my last name. <laughs> for the past 35 years of my life. And so now it's so hard, I just go by Smith. Like, I'm just like, forget it. No, I'm just kidding. But it's, so it's like, it's not even knowing. Some of us, we can't remember who we are if we've never learned who we are. Others of us, we know who we are. We know our story. We know our value and our identity. But yet it's still easy when we're around a world that tells us your main value is in what you do how well you achieve, what your grades are, what your income is, what neighborhood you live in, what it is that you have in your garage, how many toys do you own, who he has, or he or she who has the most toys wins, and we think this is true. We look at all these things, and it's so easy to just kind of allow our identity to be what the world tells us it should be, to forget who we truly are. So we're going to unpack Daniel chapter 1, and I'm going to read the first five or six verses. They're not going to be on the screens, but we're going to start off looking at what these four men do. Who are these four men? Well, we're looking at the story of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and we're looking at them in the beginning of their time in Babylon. So we'll start here again, not on the screen. So Daniel 1, you can follow along in your Bible app if you brought a Bible, or if you didn't bring one, there's one in the seat in front of you. Starting in verse 1, it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So for the record, this is 587 BC. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. Then he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. So he took the sacred things from the Jerusalem temple and he ransacked the temple and Not only did he take the valuable things, but look what else he took. Verse 3, Then the king ordered Asphanaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. It wasn't just the treasured possessions. It was the treasured people that were removed into exile. Verse 4, These were to be young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. Which when I read that, I'm like, I would have never been taken away because I don't fulfill all those things because it's, these are like the valedictorians who like got 4.17 thousand GPA, were in all the sports, did all the right things. And I'm like, 
Not me, cool, enjoy Babylon. But still, verse 5. The king assigns them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. So we're stopping there, because when we look at these, these four people, we, we want to get the context. That what Babylon would do, and this is something that other cultures would do in empires that would overtake nations and people groups. But what Babylon would do, as we saw, is they took the best of the best, and they removed not just the best of the best treasured possessions, but the best of the best treasured people, the smartest, the brightest, the, the best looking, all those different things. And they exiled them from Jerusalem and planted them into Babylon. Now, as I looked it up, there, the age ranges of how old Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would have been kind of ranges from anywhere between 14 to 18. And during this impressionable time in their lives, they are brought in to learn a brand new religious system, a brand new language, to live in a brand new place, to eat brand new food, to have brand new indoctrination, to have brand new identities. See, what a culture would do in order to eradicate a, con a con culture they've conquered is to take the best of the best, assimilate them into their culture, knowing that the likelihood of that culture continuing on within a generation or two, if the best of the best are, f are following the Babylonian idea, then all of a sudden, where's the Jewish heritage going to come from? Who's going to share those stories? And how is that going to survive? And we see the plan that for 70 years, we looked at last week, 70 years, the Babylonians, or excuse me, the Jewish people were in exile in Babylon. And then earlier in this, this uh, year, we looked at Nehemiah and how the people who were in exile and how they let things kind of go into disrepair. They kind of forgot what it was like. And so you have a people group who's left behind that is kind of falling to the wayside and, and not keeping up with their faith practices. Then you have the people who were taken and they're the brightest of the bright and they're indoctrinated completely into this new way of living. So what we know about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is that we get to read stories of how they stood firm in their faith, how they remembered who they were, and how they still loved well in a culture that would try to tear them out and strip them of their identity, to strip them of who they truly are. So let's look for a moment at what these four men did in this chapter. This is what we often know about when we read Daniel 1. I'm going to read verse 5 again to give context. 5 through 7 aren't on the screen, but verse 8 will be. Verse 5, the king assigns them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. And then verse 8. This is what they did that we know them for. One of the things. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. And now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. Now, the rest of the story goes that the official says, well, I don't, if I do this and you look worse and you're presented to the king and you look worse than all of the other slaves or all the other people who've been taken under my care, I'm the one that's going to have to suffer and the king's going to be mad at me. It could cost him his life. And so Daniel says this, he says, give us 10 days. 
If after 10 days, we would eat vegetables and drink water, we're not gonna have the choice food and wine. We will have bread, or, you know, water and, and vegetables. If after 10 days, we don't look better and healthier than the others, then we'll stop. But give us this opportunity. He asks for permission to be able to live differently. And what's beautiful about this story well, one is that he resolved, he purposed, that word and resolved in verse 8 is he purposed himself or he set his mind to, to not defile himself. Friends, if as people who know and love Jesus, if we would set our minds and purpose and resolve ourselves to follow and to live the way that God has called us to live, we would stand out in a bow down world. But not only that, why is it that he decided that he didn't want to take the choice food and wine? There's a couple of reasons. The first reason is that in order to enter into a table fellowship with someone, in order to have someone or to sit at their table, it was building a relationship. We have friends, and one of the beautiful things about kind of in this season we're at now is that for, year, for the past year and a half or so, two years, it's been harder to have people over, but we've started to have a couple people over here and there, and there's something different when you go to someone's house and sit at a table, or when they come to your house and you sit at, and they sit at your table. You build relationship over the table. And so Daniel resolved, again, as a 14 through 18-year-old, he resolved not to defile himself, not to sit at the table and to build a relationship in the sense of giving in to the temptations of being able to follow the Babylonian way of life. Because the second reason is that the choice wine and the meats, the good food that they're talking about here, would be most likely have been offered up as a sacrifice to their pagan gods. So not only did he want to enter into a, a, a person relationship that would cause temptation, he also didn't want to enter into a moment where he's taking of something that was sacrificed to a God that he didn't believe in, that was an idol, and thus break the commandments of not having any other idols. He didn't want to enter into those different things. So he said, would you give us permission? Would you give us permission to eat different food because the vegetables, the meals that he would have had with his Jewish brothers there, they most likely would not have been offered as a sacrifice. So he resolved himself to have standards that kept purity at the forefront of their walk. One encouraging thing is that, and we need to remember this, and we'll learn it the next week too, one of the reasons they're able to withstand some of these temptations and some of these trials in a pluralistic, hedonistic, far from God world is because they had each other. Do you have friends who come alongside you? Do you have people who ask you hard questions, who challenge you, encourage you, breathe life into you? And yes, of course we want to have friends who we're building relationship who don't know Jesus, but the people who pour into our lives most, are they ones that have a godly influence? Are you of like mind so that you can hold each other and resolve together to not be defiled by what's around us. See, the word resolve is so strong because you counterbalance that with our idea of resolutions. And we're about 100 days in the year, not even. And how many of you are still doing your New Year's resolutions? One of you or two of you. You're the best. I'm not. So you'd be the ones that would have been taken into exile or into Babylon. I'd be like, let's hang out in Jerusalem. So here's the thing. We are sitting here and we're looking at the idea that they resolve themselves. But I, want us, I don't want to stay in this section of the, of the idea. Why? Because after those 10 days, they do look better. 
And they are able to not defile themselves. And it's this beautiful picture of how God provided for them, gave them favor, looked for them, looked after them in a hostile world. And they were able to be elevated into the highest levels of the Babylonian government. And it started as 14 and 18 year olds, through 18 year olds, resolving to not defile themselves, to do the right thing to follow God. So friends, when don't, let's not ever look down. I'm not saying we do, but let's never look down on those who are young, recognize that our middle school, our high school students are ones that are making decisions now to resolve not to defile themselves. May we encourage them and pray for them in that. But we continue on because we live in a culture that focuses so much on what you do that you say hi to someone, you, you introduce yourself, you get their name, and then what's very commonly the next question, so what do you do for a living? Or what, what do you do? We counterbalance, or we, we um, excuse me, we can connect name and occupation or what you do and attribute value. Whether we think so or not, the value may be, oh wow, you're way more educated than I am. For many of you who are engineers, I'm just like, you guys are way smarter than I am. Some of you make more money. Some of you live in better places. But it's like we attribute, oh, you're this kind of profession. So you most likely are doing, and we start to allocate or attribute value on people based on what they do. In our walk with Jesus, there are so many things where sometimes we will do all the right things. We will have our checklists of doing the right thing. But sometimes we can do the right thing and not have the right heart. Sometimes we can forget who we are. We could get so busy in what we do that we forget who we are. So I want to, yes, we look at, and it's a great story. It's a great story of what these four men did. They resolved, they stood firm, and God blessed them. But let's look closely at what was changed in their lives. In addition to changing their location from Jerusalem to Babylon, in addition to changing the way that they would have dressed, changing the way they would have looked, changing the language that they were learning, changing the literature that they read, changing the religion they would have been studying, they also changed, the Babylonians changed something very important about them. Start in verse 6 as we revisit what we just read, but with a new context or new eye for it. Verse 6, among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. It's another thing that cultures would do is to change your name, to change your identity, to change who you are, not just externally and where you live, how you dress, what you're learning, but internally to who you are and your very identity. So then the chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. Names, my friends. Again, one of the most loving things we could do is to call someone by their name. Because it shows value. I watched uh, Star Wars The Force Awakens last week. And there's a part where if you've seen the movie before, if you haven't seen Star Wars and don't care about it, just block me out for the next 43 seconds. But if you like it, then you know they're the stormtroopers, the ones that wear white, they're the ones that have blasters, they're the ones that can't hit anything with their blasters, they're horrible shots. But still, they end up, one of them wants to turn good, right? And so he helps this guy escape and all these things happen. And the guy who's the pilot who he helped escape says, what's your name? And he goes, FN 1127 or something, it's some four numbers. He's like, he's like, I don't know, they never gave us names. They were just numbers. He's like, the guy's like, FN, he's like, 
Finn, I'm gonna call you, I'm gonna call you Finn. It's like, Finn, yeah, I like it. And it's this idea of when people don't have names, they don't have value. They don't, they don't, they're not named and beloved and cherished in that way. So when we got ready to name our girls, we wanted to make sure that their names had deep meaning. We prayed and we, and we tried different names and we really wanted to emphasize that. I shared this on my very first sermon here when I uh, was applying for the job in January of 2018, but we're going to revisit it because some of us are new. Uh, and either way, I just I love being able to look at the importance of names. So how many of you in here are the youngest of your, in your family? Okay, so just so you all know, we're going to look at the youngest of my daughter's fa- in our family first because young people deserve to be the, get first sometimes too. So Elise DeVe, on the list here, Elise DeVe, Elise is the idea of being pledged to God. DeVe comes from the idea, from like David, and the idea of uh, a Hebrew word that means beloved. So she is our beloved girl who's pledged to God. Number two, Shailen, Joy. Shailen, we took Shia, which is a Hebrew word for gift. Then we took Linda, which is the Spanish word for beautiful. And we kind of just combined those names together for Shailen to mean beautiful gift plus joy. So she's our beautiful gift who brings joy. Now, her name is, her middle name Joy is the same as Stephanie's middle name. I thought, you know, the girls get to have my last name, Trefferis, uh, for however many years, if the Lord calls them to be married, it'll change. But they will always, at least Shailen, will always be able to have her mom's name passed down. And so then Stephanie Joy, Stephanie is from the Greek word Stephanos, which means crowned. And so it's when you would like win a victory, you would put on a Stephanos, a crown that would not fade. And so she's the crowned one who brings joy. She's my queen, right? And then lastly, John Paul. It's John, Hebrew word from God is gracious. And Paul, as we see in the New Testament, is little. So I think it's funny because for me, I'm like, I'm like 5'8", five, 5'9", five, on a good day, not known for my height. And I just take my name to mean that God is gracious to little people like me. So I just feel, I feel like it fits me well. So the names, you know, we looked at these different names for our girls and we wanted them to have meaning. Why? Because as we know, we face a gauntlet of people trying to change our names change our value, to attribute value to us, or take away value from us throughout our lives. Imagine being 14 through 18 years old. How many, don't need a show of hands, how many of you though will remember something someone said that was harsh to you during 14 to 18? A comment about what you were wearing or how you looked, a comment about what you said or how you acted, a comment about the house that you had or the house that you didn't have. The comment about the grades that you got or didn't get. The fact that you were not smart enough, not good enough, not fast enough, not clever enough, not funny enough, just not enough. And those words can echo and reverberate in our hearts if we're not careful. So we wanted to give the girls names that they knew no matter what the world tried to take them on from the outside. Inside they would know, I'm a beautiful gift who brings joy to those around me to those who love me most. Or, I am a beloved girl who is pledged to God. The value they attribute from their names. So let's take a step back then. What was changed among many things was the names of these four men. That if we go to the next slide, we're gonna take a moment to look at the changes that were made. So Daniel, his name means God is my judge. And it was changed to Belteshazzar which means Bel protects the king. 
And then some of these have a couple different options for translations. So um, another one could be instead of Bel was a, was a god there, a goddess. But it could be also lady protects the king. But the idea is that the focus in Daniel's name went from God to an idol, to Bel. Then we start to see Hananiah, that Yahweh has been gracious. Notice for Hananiah and, um, uh, excuse me, and Azariah, the names have the Ya at the end, which points to Yahweh. And then Daniel and Mishael have the L at the end of it, which refers to the Hebrew word for God. So these are anchored in God. Their names are anchored in God. So Hananiah is Yahweh has been gracious. And then Shadrach means commanded of Aku. Command of Aku. In other words, instead of God being a gracious one who gives, it's you are in servitude and under the command of Aku, who is the moon god. Again, taking away their foundation of identity in God and putting it towards an idol of the world. Mishael is who is what God is. I love that. This idea there's such great confidence in God, the one true God's like, who is like our God? Who is what God is? No one is. His, chain, his name gets changed to Meshach, which is who is what Aku is. The confidence in God eradicated to point to confidence in the moon god Aku. And then lastly, Azariah, that, ha, that talks about how Yahweh has helped to Abednego, which is servant of Nebo, another one of their gods. So now it's not God has helped you, it's now you are going to be required to help and be under the servitude of this other god. They tried to take away who these young men were in God. Our world tries to take away who we are in Christ. Well, tell us you're not good enough. Well, tell us we're not enough. Well, tell us all these things. And then, friends, we start to believe the lies that we've been told over and over again. They become the script that we review in our minds. They become the recording that gets echoed in our hearts. And then we just say, well, that's who we are then. That's, you know, that's who we are. So the reason that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were able to do all these things, yes, they did an amazing thing. And we'll see in Daniel 3 and Daniel 6 throughout the book, they keep doing amazing things for the Lord. But what's more amazing than what they did is that they never forgot who they were. They never forgot that their name can be changed by what others call them, but who they are and who God is in them will never change. Who God is in you and who you are will never change no matter what harsh word you've heard, no matter what put down you've received, no matter what hurt or habit or hang up or heartache you've experienced. You were loved by God. That cannot, will not change. So with the last few minutes I have with us together this morning, yes, we looked at what they did. That's amazing. It's a beautiful testimony in their culture. We look at what was changed. Even their name and their identity was under attack. But friends, as we close, I want to encourage you and remind myself of the importance of remembering your true name. Remembering your true name. Not what the world has put upon you, but who God has made you to be. See, two points about your name. The first thing is that your name reflects whose you are. 
It reflects whose you are. So if I were to go to your house and you invite us over to your table and you have kids and I say, I think that you, your kids should have a different name. Do I get that authority? You know, do I get to be able to call someone else's kids by their name? Do I get to call pets by someone else's name? No, because it's not my kid. It's not my pet. The next two pictures on this slide are from of Oscar. Um, Oscar is one of the litter of nine puppies that we ended up getting Oscar uh, on February 21st, 2021. He was born December 26th in 2020. And the, the couple that we got, the family that we got our dog from, uh, they had nine puppies, only one female puppy and eight male puppies. And they named all of them after characters from The Office. And so Oscar was this one, and he was the one that we ended up selecting. I love the, by the fact, you may not be able to see it, but the picture on the left that has the orange uh, collar, pretty obvious. He kind of has his eye, eye open, like just a little bit. He still does that when he gives me side eye and it makes me laugh. So, um, so that's Oscar, like that's who he was. From December 26, 2020, to February 20th, 2021. Do you know why? Because the next pictures show us that on February 21st, he was our dog now. So go ahead and go to the next slide. When we got him from the airport and him with his, you know, his puppy potty pad in the, in the room and the girls playing with him the first day that we had him, he wasn't Oscar anymore. That was the name that someone else gave him. For us, he was Ember. That's our dog. And we get to name him that. That whose you are, the one who can name you is the one that, to whom you give the most authority in your life. And I don't just mean, yes, your physical name. Yes, I get that. But I mean, deep down your identity. Maybe your name doesn't mean the same things that, that other names. Maybe your name doesn't mean anything specific. That doesn't mean you don't have a specific value because your name and your identity and who you are can only be found truly, wholly, and completely in a right relationship with the creator who formed you, who breathed life into you, who called you by name and redeemed you. So your name reflects whose you are. And so when we look at this, let's go ahead and go back a slide for a moment. When we look at this idea, there's a story from uh, Donald Miller's book called Blue Light Jazz. And in this story, I read this years ago and this part stuck out to me. He shared about how he was uh, in a relationship with a woman and things just were not working. But whenever she was upset with him, it just would kind of, it would just kind of rattle him and kind of destroy his world. And he was just so, he linked his identity so much to what she thought of him that if she was okay with him, he was okay with himself. If she wasn't, he wasn't. And I can relate to this because until I gave my life to the Lord and I was dating Steph, she became my idol. She was the one that, if you're okay with me, then I feel value. And if you don't, then I don't. And so when she broke up with me, it rattled my foundation. Now in the story, to go back to Donald Miller, he shares this. And so a friend of his says, hey, go talk to Diane. Diane was a, a counselor, kind of a mother in the faith. Someone was a generation older, but spoke wisdom and truth into his life. And he said, he's sharing the story and he's like, you know, there must be something wrong with me. And she looks at him and she says, there is something wrong with you. And all of a sudden he's like, oh my gosh, what is this? Is it how I look? Is it what I'm like? Like, what is it? She says, Don, you are letting this girl name you. You're giving, he's like, name me. What does that mean? You are letting her determine 
your value, and your identity, which can only come from Jesus Christ. You're looking for her to fill that gap and to fill in the cracks in your heart and soul. And instead, it's nothing that any one person, even the best person in the world, cannot do that. The only one who could fill in the gaps and the crevices of the words and the wounds that we experience is God who filled that up, that it's by his wounds that we are healed. That we recognize that we cannot let other people name us because we are not theirs. So those words that you've heard, those are not for you to keep. Those harmful, hurtful words that someone had spoken over you and you've believed, they're not for you to take hold of and hold on to. Let me give some examples. Because your name reflects not just whose you are, your name reflects who you are, your core identity. Growing up, um, I had a few false names, things that are not true, that are lies from the enemy, but they felt true, they rang true, I felt like they were real, and so I believed them for myself for years in my life. The false names that I believed, if you'll grant me a few moments to share this, the first one was unwanted. Again, my parents never told me this, they never said this, and they don't think this way at all. But I was born 12 years after my brother. I was going to kindergarten. He was going off to college. There's no other kids in between, same marriage, like nothing else going on. And so most of us, or you know, most parents when they have a 12-year-old don't think, you know what we need to add to like this middle school drama? Infant baby. Like, let's do this, right? So I falsely, to be clear, falsely, it's like I was, I was unwanted. So people are like, no, you were, you, you were surprised. I'm like, that was probably an accident. God may have just had some extra clay laying around. He's like, I'm going to build a truffles today. But that's not true. But I felt unwanted. This was perpetuated from when I was in middle school, when I was 12 years old. The end of our seventh grade year, um, there was... I went to a small Catholic school. There were 33 kids total, 22 boys, 11 girls. My odds were not great, and that's fine. But we end up looking at how I would like, I don't know if you did this. Maybe you didn't. It was just me. I would like rank in my mind, like where I was on like the coolness scale of the 22 boys. And I'd be like, well, I'm clearly not as cool as that guy or that guy or that guy. But I'm like, I'm like probably like a solid fourth, you know, like in my mind. And the last day of school, one of the boys in our class has a pool party and I'm one of the only ones not invited. And I was like, you know, I had my like mid part at the time. I'm like, I don't even care about that. Like, that's totally fine. You could do whatever you want. And inside I'm like, why don't you want me to hang out? And it's a lie, but it's a lie that I believed. You're unwanted. You know what's worse than being unwanted? is being wanted or known and then rejected. So rejected was the second one that I falsely wore for years and decades. The idea that was perpetuated from when I was in high school and there was a girl, she and I were talking and we, talk, we had known each other for years. She was actually one of the 11 girls that in high school we, st we kept, stayed in touch. And she calls me one night after we'd been talking for a while and she just shared, uh, hey, we need to talk, which is always great. And um, she's talking about how, you know, we hey, uh, you know how I said I liked you? I never liked you. 
And I was like, okay, you know, I'm like, I, what do you say? And she's like, you know, I was just playing games with your heart, which if you grew up in the same time frame I did, uh, Backstreet Boys was very prevalent in that moment. And so it's like, quit playing games with, anyway, so I'm just like broken. And then here's the kicker. She's like, you know how I told you I wanted to be an actress? I'm like, yeah, like where are we, you know, like where are we going? I just wanted to see if I can make you think I liked you. Just shattered. No longer just unwanted, but known and rejected. It just broke me. Still feel that every once in a while. I just feel that dynamic. Lastly, failed hero. We all, you know, we're growing up. We all want to be heroes. We all, you know, kids nowadays, they want to dress up like Spider-Man or any of the Avengers or any of those different things. And we want to be heroes. So what I had falsely taken upon myself was this idea that I was 10 years old when my parents told me that they were going to get separated and that then a few weeks later they told me they were going to get divorced. My brother at the time was already 12 years older, so he's out of the house. So it's just me at home and you wonder why are you getting divorced when I'm here? So I thought to myself growing up, even before that, it's, you know, our, none of our families are perfect, but our family, you know, they'd argue, they'd have conflict. And so, you know, parents were arguing and brother would argue with them. And so all three of them, in my perspective, were arguing with one another. And here I am, the youngest, the baby, the, the one that, in the best possible circumstances, a surprise, the wanted one. And well, I was like, okay, well, then you know what? If I will be perfect, because if I can be perfect, then I can hold this family together. So as a 10-year-old, when your parents sit across from you and tell you that we're getting divorced, there goes the idea of being a hero. Now they, to be clear, they handled the divorce as well as they could. They did a great job. They were never like combative with each other. They're, they navigate. And again, they never said any of these words to me and would be heartbroken if they knew I felt them. But it wasn't them. It was false names that I believed. And that was perpetuated when I was in eighth grade. And we were playing a tournament, and it was the last few seconds I get fouled, have two free throws, miss them both. It was my chance to shine, my chance to be the hero, and I failed. Now, my friend got the rebound. He got fouled, sunk both of them. We win the game. Outwardly, I'm cheering the team's victory, and inwardly, I'm mourning my inability to be a hero and the fact that I was a failure. See, these are the lies, the false names I've worn for decades. And I would venture to guess each of you have one or two or three or two pages worth of names that you falsely believed about yourself. The things that someone said once and you took it to heart and you let that seed blossom in your life when the seeds of God's word are so much more powerful. See, Henry Nouwen unpacks this dynamic a little bit, this self-rejection we talk to ourselves about. He says it this way. When we have come to believe in the voices that call us worthless and unlovable, or if you allow me to add to it, the voices that call you unwanted, rejected, or failed hero, then success, popularity, and power are easily perceived as attractive solutions. 
The real trap, however, is self-rejection. Why? Continue on the next verse, or the next, excuse me, quotation. Self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us the beloved. Being the beloved expresses the core truth of our existence. The core truth of your existence is not that you are how much money you make. The core truth of your existence is that you are not the grades that you get. It is not the house that you live in. It is not the profession that you have. It is not in anything the world tries to put upon you about your intellect or your looks. Your core identity is not found in anything external. It can only be found in saying the words and believing the truth that I am the beloved of God. Because when we know that we are the beloved and we live out our belovedness, then it allows for us that no matter how much the, the world around us tries to cut off our identity at the legs, to cut off who Christ is in our lives and think, well, he can't really do that. And do you really believe that? And how can you do those things? And you think, no, no, no. It doesn't matter what you say about me because I am who he says I am. See, Matthew 3.17 has become a verse that I've tried to hold on to in my life. It's the verse of the baptism, and it's one of the only times that we know of where there's God the Father, and God the, the, the voice of God the Father, the person of Jesus Christ in the water, and God the Spirit coming down like a dove. All three of them are there at the creation, and all three of them are there here at the baptism. And in that moment, the voice that comes from heaven from the Father, God the Creator, says this, this is my son whom I love with whom I am well pleased. And in John 17, 23, it talks about how God loves us with the same love that he has for Jesus. So this verse that you are a son or daughter of the king, that you are well loved and that he is pleased with you, he's proud of you, are, is a verse that we can hold on to as part of our identity. Henry Nouwen continues because he quotes that verse and then he says, but once I have received those words fully, the ones I just mentioned, I am set free from my compulsion to prove myself to the world and can live in it without belonging to it. So as we're in a series called In the World, the best way for us to live in it without belonging to it is to find our identity as children of God whom he loves, with whom he is well pleased. So, instead of being someone who is unwanted, some of the true names that I'm trying to, striving to remember and to remind myself of is instead of being unwanted, I'm a son. A child that has been longed for and loved, that God didn't say I have leftover clay, I'm just going to make a human out of the leftovers. He created and shaped and formed and molded me just as he created and shaped and formed and molded you breathe his life into you because he loves you. God, you go from being rejected to being the son whom he loves or the daughter who he loves, that you are loved. You are far more beloved than you could even imagine. Timothy Keller, I'm going to paraphrase a Timothy Keller quote that says, one of the beauties of the gospel is that we are more sinful than we can realize, but we are more loved than we could even imagine. He knows we will fail. But we don't find our identity in ourselves as a failed hero. We find our identity in Jesus as the true hero. And then now, instead of being a failed hero, I can be, that's based on how well I do things. And if I fail, then that means I'm horrible. Instead, it's God is proud. He's well pleased 
with us. Now, yes, we fall into sin. I'm not glossing over that we have our sins and our shortcomings. But I'm saying who or what is our identity. Remember who you are. You are children of the Most High King. You are loved by him far more than you can imagine. And you are ones with whom he is well pleased. He can still get mad at us. There's still times we break his heart with how we sin. But the, the truth is that there's nothing we could do to make him love us anymore. There's nothing we could do to make him love us any less. Because we are beloved from his unconditional, hear me, without condition is how he loves you. So I'll close with this story. Uh, I went to a men's retreat years ago. Actually, they called it boot camp because uh, their perspective was that uh, men don't retreat. We move forward, which is funny, and I love it. But it was a men's boot camp that uh, we went, and we were listening to the story. And, and the presenter, the, the, the pastor, is on video, but he was sharing about how he grew up, and he had grown up with a different, with, with a last name that was a stepfather's name or an adopted father's name. And, but it wasn't his, his true dad. And the, 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 the father was not good to him. And so he had this, he was carrying around this name that had only been the name of the man who had hurt him and, and had wounded his heart. And so then he ends up finding out that his true name, the one from whom he came, that his father loved the Lord, that his grandfather was a preacher, like he had this huge foundation of a background that it wasn't like me, that I just didn't know how to pronounce my true name. He, he didn't know about it at all. And then he talked about how he went. And even as, a, as an adult, he went and legally changed his name to his true name. So he releases us. They say, go, go have some time with the Lord and figure out what it is that is your true name. Pray that God would reveal that. So I'm sitting and I'm going uh, and I'm in this wooded area and I'm thinking like, Lord, what is, like, what do you have to say to me for this? Like, I feel rejected. I feel unwanted. I, I feel like I'm a failure and I, I can't be a hero. Like, what is it that you want me to, to hear from you right now? And I hear this voice tell me five words, not audibly, but in, in the impression of our spirit. And we know that the sheep know their shepherd's voice. So I hear his voice. Gives me five words that were words that my dad used to say to me when I was younger. All the time. And it was the words, John Paul, which is my name, good, brave, true. I was like, God, you can't, you can't actually, that can't actually be my name. Good, you know my failures, Lord. Brave, I'm afraid of so much. True? <sighs> okay, that one's true. No, I'm just kidding. But recognizing, what is that like? God, is that really you? And I leave that place and just feel so encouraged by it that shortly thereafter, I went on Amazon and I got it engraved on this ring. And I haven't worn this ring for years because it like causes like skin irritation and stuff. I'm like, I don't want to wear it right now. It's, you know. And it's one of those where like my, our wedding ring is like a comfort fit, which means it just fits beautifully and perfectly. And it's like, oh, just, it, I don't even notice it, right? Like it just, it feels so natural. This one doesn't feel great. It's a little heavier. And I'm not used to having it on there, but do you know why I'm wearing it now? Because like you, I need to remember who I am. I need to remember the voice of the Father. And the fact that it's uncomfortable brings my attention to it all the time. Good, brave, true. For you, 
as you leave, what is the name that God, what's the name, what are the false names you've believed? And what is the true name God is calling you to remember? Father, we thank you for who you are, God. I pray that you would speak to us in this moment as we get ready to take communion and speak to us later today and throughout this week. Lord, may you reveal to us the lies that we have believed. And Lord, as I look at that list, it, sometimes it comes back over and over like that canker sore that won't leave our mouth. And just when you think you're fine, you bite it again and it brings back all the pain. But God, I ask that you would reveal to us the lies so that we could be all the more blessed by your truth. I pray that you would show us if we've let other people or our culture name us and we repent and we reject those lies so that we can receive and believe what you have for us. The identity of those whom you love, that you are proud of, and that we are your children. And that we can build our lives upon your love alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. The first, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening so you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do, share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. See you next time.